Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. It's been a, a little bit of time since I've recorded some episodes. I learned a, a ways back that it's helpful for me in managing my time if I record um, several episodes all at once and then wait for a while before I need to record some more. So I'm feeling a little bit uh, rusty right now, so I'm going to claim that. <laughs> if I say or do something that sounds strange, which for those people who uh, have listened to my podcast know that uh, I am inclined at times to say odd things, and that's that's fine. Part of my podcast when I was putting it together was about being transparent and being open with our own faults and frailties and all those types of things, and I generally don't have problem doing that. So if you're looking for a perfect podcast from a perfect person, you probably need to find another one. (laughs) If you are a returning listener, then I'm so glad you're back with me. Welcome back. Um, If you are a a new listener to Phoenix and Flame, then I am so, so glad you're here. I hope that you will find either this episode or another episode helpful to you. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Normally I try to angle my episodes toward things that are psychological in nature. Um, That is my background and I enjoy it thoroughly. And since I'm a psychotherapist, I am daily putting those types of things into practice. And I have the privilege of being a witness to other people, their struggles, what they go through, um, and how to help them come out the other side. Once in a while, when I am recording an episode, I will mention my faith. I'm a Christian, and for me personally, it is a it's a pretty big deal. It's a the bedrock on which everything that is in my life is is built upon. But I haven't really talked a whole lot about my faith. And for those who have listened to prior episodes, they know that I'm a very big um, proponent. I, I really encourage people to uh, walk their path and let other people walk their paths. We're all different. We're not all supposed to be the same. And so I'm simply going to be explaining a little bit about my path of faith. I actually titled it, unless I change it, which I might, but at this point, the title of the podcast is, What is This God Thing Anyway? (laughs) And you'll understand as I go along why I titled it that way. So, you know, I've been thinking about doing this episode on my Christian faith for a while, but quite frankly, I've been putting it off. 
since transparency is something I demand of my podcast, I find it necessary and embarrassing to say that I had been battling fear. I had been scared that if I externalized the reasons for my faith, then they would be just shred to ribbons, uh, whether, you know, through somebody else or my own self. If I pulled my faith out of the cozy pockets of my mind, away from the encouraging, affirming church, and into the harsh light of the real, questioning, unbelieving world, would it remain intact or would it crumble into dust? Or maybe no one will care and wonder when I'm going to get back to doing more psychological topics. (laughs) So after months of gnawing this particular bone, I've decided I'm done with fear. I've always said each person has a right to his or her viewpoint, and this happens to be mine. Now, you should know this is not some polished manifest. I don't have an outline with corroborating subtext. I've chosen to do a more flow of thought. So, like, each point could probably launch many discussions, but that's not the nature of this episode. Those who listened to my most recent podcast on our internal family will understand more fully as I explain that I have a rather obnoxious mental partner insisting on being my sidekick. He is a notorious cynic whose favorite activity is to question and challenge. There have been many sermons I have listened to over the years while hearing my internal cynic saying, hmm, but is that really what happened? Is that what the scripture really means? (laughs) Fortunately, I'm rather adept at keeping his curled lip and squinty eyes off my facial expression. Or at least I think I am. (laughs) Some would disagree. So I'm going to explain what I believe. I'm going to reveal my cynic's remarks and questions and then attempt to answer them, and probably not in that order. I will tell you right now that I don't have perfect answers to all of my cynic's questions. If I did, I imagine that I'd be wrapped in mysterious cloth while sitting cross-legged atop a craggy mountain in a desolate country where sojourners would seek my wisdom. Clearly, I don't meet that description. (laughs) Plus, I don't have the patience for sitting around on mountaintops. So, I'm just going to start with whatever comes to mind and go from there. I may end up in neat and tidy flows, Or it may feel more like kayaking blind down rain-choked waterfalls. I guess we'll find out. So, in no particular order or sequence, number one, am I a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home? I don't know. Possibly. But I do believe that God pursues us. And... 
I don't see our family of origin being an obstacle to him. Scriptures say that he knit us together in our mother's womb, so I don't really see his intent being thwarted by our parentage or location of birth. Number two, speaking of scripture, is it really true? I mean, there are a lot of amazing and really disturbing things in there. Is it all just bogus? Years ago, I was teaching our church youth group the basics about various religions and cults, and I thoroughly enjoyed learning about what these different groups believed and why. What I most wanted to know was the origin of each group, because many layers of a religion are added over time because of politics, culture, power, and on and on. What I learned impacted me a great deal. Every other group, aside from Christianity, was originally founded by one person's account of an experience. And to be honest, a few of those people sounded diagnosable. I'm not going down that trail right now. You can Google any cult or religion to see on what premise the whole thing started. Since the core of Christianity is its scripture, I wanted to know how the Bible stood up against all these other groups. The information I was able to attain indicated the Bible was written over 1,500 years through 40 different people in three languages over three continents and covered controversial topics and it all gels together. Now, that is not humanly possible. Even a fraction of a fraction of that isn't humanly possible. I don't know if there's anybody out there that remembers the children's game that we used to play called Telephone. Now, that was back in the Stone Age before Snapchat and Instagram. <laughs> it was built on the inability of one secret message to be conveyed accurately around a circle of about five to ten players. It was so fun to see how the message was distorted as it went from one player to the next until the final player blurted out the secret, which typically had little resemblance to the original. So how is it that messages through 40 people over 1,500 years covering multiple countries while using different languages all gel together. Number three, maybe you've heard it said that there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, that may be so. I don't know. I've never been in a foxhole. But I do know that most people seem to want to believe that a higher power exists. They just don't want to be duped. They don't want to feel like the butt of some cosmic joke. I mean, a lot of people seem to equate Christianity with believing in Santa or the Tooth Fairy or having a vending machine in their backyard where they can say a few words and get what they want. 
I know how I view the Greeks who created numerous gods, all with varying responsibilities and powers. I don't know where those gods are now. Maybe they're still doing their thing on Mount Olympus. I wonder, when I pray, are there those who view me like I would view someone praying to Zeus or to a creature carved from wood or stone, probably. So how do I know the God of the Bible is real? Well, I guess that loops back to my comments about the origin of Scripture, of the Bible. I know there have been numerous versions, like King James Version, New King James Version, the New International Version, blah, 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 goes on and on, which I believe were, at least in part, created by historical, political climates and cultural power plays. But I have read enough versions to know that they all basically say the same thing. I actually like reading the same verse in various versions to kind of check out the different ways of saying the same verse. I know that there are those staunch supporters of the King James Version. Like it's, you know, God's choice or something. Personally, I find that version stuffy. Hard to read and difficult to connect with unless you're a Shakespeare fan. I mean, we don't speak in these and thous anymore. Personally, I like the message version a lot. So if you happen to be curious about what's in the Bible, I would get that version. Actually, there's a Bible app. I'm sure there's more than one. I've got one where you can easily switch from one version to another to kind of check out the differences. I like to do that. Number four, not going to lie, it does help. When you go to church where everyone around you believes the same thing. But I've always kind of been drawn to the questioning, the cynic. Because if my faith can't stand up to those challenges, then I don't have any use for it. I mean, you've probably seen video footage of cult members blissfully walking around their compounds with daisies in their hair and dreams of a new world until, of course, the Kool-Aid comes out. Or the FBI descends in a raid due to allegations of child sex trafficking. At the end of my life, I will face God alone without the corroborating beliefs of those around me. So I better know what I believe and why. Number five. I do not like it when people become self-righteous and act like Pharisees, as if they have some special bat phone to God, and you better toe their line or face condemnation. First of all, God is the only one who can condemn me, not man. What is much more interesting to me, though, is Christ and the way he really shook things up. The biggest thing about God is his crazy love for us and his willingness to send his son Christ to be a person 
I don't know what that would be like to switch from being God to a person. I can, can't even imagine that. But that's what happened. He became a person. And then he took all of our crap and our sin on him as he died. And by the way, he just didn't die any old way. He died at the hands of the Romans. Now, the Romans prided themselves on grisly, painful, demoralizing deaths. But back to the way Christ lived. He loved people. He entered homes the Jews refused to touch because the people were considered unclean. He ate with tax collectors who were considered in league with Satan. When an adulterous woman was thrown into the street for the men to stone her to death, and by the way, where was the man? FYI, when God assigned judges to help the people address their various issues and such, one of them was a woman. Her name was Deborah. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Anyway, back to the stoning. Jesus was responding to all of these men who had circled this woman, all with stones in their hand, ready to stone her to death for adultery. And Jesus looked at them and he said, sure, whoever here has never sinned, you go ahead and be the one to throw that first stone. I freaking love that. I love the way he loved. He reserved his harshest words, actually, for the Pharisees. They were a group of Jewish male leaders who were very strict about the religious laws, and they were also quite pretentious and believed themselves to be holier than other people. Jesus scolded them, telling them they were, quote, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, end quote. I think I've known a few people like that. Number six, what about when people declare their prayers have been answered because their child gets home safely, but another praying parent's child is killed? Were the second parent's prayers ignored? If we don't get what we pray for, does that mean praying is futile? And again, are we actually praying to our God? Or is it just an exercise to make us feel better somehow? Is it all just coincidence? There have been books written about this topic that could fill Yankee Stadium, and I'm not interested in philosophizing or preparing a dissertation. This is about my faith journey and my thoughts. I believe that praying helps us hold tightly to God while we walk our lives out on this broken planet. Some folks seem to think that if God were real, then there would be no suffering. Well, I'm pretty sure that's called heaven. We get to make choices. And anyone who's lived a few years knows that some choices bring reward and some bring pain. Sometimes we get hurt by other people's choices. Sometimes life feels like flapping around in a big pot of dysfunctional stew. 
So I love that God says he's my safe place, my fortress, and my shield. And praying keeps me connected to that. Praying connects me to someone I trust, someone who will actually listen and care and not try to maneuver the conversation to satisfy their own self-absorption. Someone who knows me, made me, has a plan for my life and protects me. Praying is my lifeline when things around me are chaotic, unpredictable, and painful. I can close my eyes and meet him in my soul where there is peace. Number seven, I have always been an observer of people. I think people are amazing and entertaining in all their various displays of personality. I could sit in the mall with a Diet Pepsi and a bag of caramel corn and watch people for hours. Maybe that's why I chose sociology as my minor. There was a time I accompanied someone to a religious conference where some of the attendees, most of them actually, engaged in laying on of hands, speaking in tongues, etc. And being the somewhat nonconformist that I am, I would periodically refuse to do what everyone else was doing. And other times I would get in line like a participatory journalist to have a personal experience. I found three groups of participants, the attention-seeking, the sheep, and the open. I imagine most of the cynics wouldn't be caught dead at such a conference, so that group's not included. In an effort to be a team player, I kept my own internal cynic on a rather short leash. The attention-seeking seemed to find ways to be loud, histrionic, and grandiose. I suspect their, quote, experience, end quote, would fade away in direct proportion to their audience. The sheep seemed to go along with whatever everyone else appeared to be doing, even if they had to fake it, such as speaking in tongues or falling to the ground when touched by the designated layer on of hands. Now, just to say, I'm not saying that everybody that speaks in tongues isn't doing something accurately. I'm just saying that some people fake that. That's all I'm saying. Then there was the open. They seemed genuine and receptive, but without any kind of hidden agendas or secondary gain to be had. It has been my experience that Christianity contains all of these groups, just like other social aggregates. Christianity is composed of people, not deities or angels or Mensa board members, just regular struggling folks who believe there's a creative, protective, guiding power way above their pay grade. Number eight, it has been my experience throughout decades of doing psychotherapy that God fills me with what I need to help my patients. Too many times to count, a patient would need the very insight I had developed from some recent painful experience. 
Without that exposure, I would not have been nearly as helpful. I used to think that was simply coincidence, until it happened like 50 times. When I was setting up my private practice, this wonderful lady from my church handed me a piece of paper on which she had written one verse, and it has become something I pray for almost daily. It's been 13 years since then, so I can't locate the paper, but the verse was David asking for God's wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and understanding. I ask for those things as I try to help my patients. Again, too many times to count, I will be in session and just know something that I really have no way of knowing. I believe God gives me his wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and understanding as I walk the path he laid out for me before I was born. Remember my cynic? He says, yeah, whatever. You just figure that stuff out on your own and give God the credit. Well, then not only am I a super bright psychotherapist, but I need to check out some casinos at Vegas. I am rather bright, actually, and I do a lot of reading and educate myself frequently on evidence-based psychotherapy practices, protocols for trauma, and, and on and on. But the type of knowledge I'm referring to here is different. I don't really know how to explain it. I imagine there may be at least three types of responses to this section. One group will have experienced the same thing and know exactly what I'm talking about. Another group won't be able to connect with what I'm saying, but they have the mental space to accommodate possibilities outside their experience. The last group will likely respond with criticism judgment, and possibly anger. I won't get any more referrals from that group. (laughs) Oh well. Dolly Parton once said, find out who you are and do it on purpose. Number nine, underlying virtually all of this is faith. Believing in something not seen can be simultaneously the easiest and hardest thing to do. Hard because I want to see the blueprints and give my approval, but also so peaceful to let go and surrender in the knowledge that I don't have to struggle with those things that are above my pay grade. I trust the one in charge so I can let go. In the second Santa Claus movie with Tim Allen, his character Scott Calvin had a son who was trying to help the skeptical teacher with her unbelief. He said, quote, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, end quote. And I agree with that. Scripture says faith is a gift from God. Some might say my faith in God comes from weakness. Since I have a job bearing witness to the insecurities, fears, and anxieties of others, I happen to know that we are all weak. Those that state otherwise are delusional. It gives me great comfort to lean on God, knowing I cannot do what is being asked of me, but He can. Left to my own devices, 
I would surely be weak, but in Christ, I am strong. Sometimes it helps to be weak because then it forces me to let go and trust God to show up. And he does. Number 10. All along this way, my internal cynic has demanded that I question and challenge Christianity, and so I have. I was that kid who challenged the cultural superstitions of my youth to see if anything bad really did happen. I have no patience for ridiculous fluff that produces no results. I know there are those who think the idea of God is fluff. All I can say is while we're spending so much time and effort trying to negate Christ, it's only fair to ask ourselves, what if the scripture is right? What if it's all true? I have used countless scripture to help me cope with fear, anxiety, insecurity, sorrow, resentment, rage, and on and on. Scripture says God knew me before I was born, knit me together in my mother's womb, has a plan for me, will never leave me, will strengthen me each day, carries me when I'm weak, protects me from evil, and will work everything out in the end, regardless of my stupidity. There are some folks who have been through some real shit, and they feel cast aside as if God was only a childhood delusion. Seems to me there are three possible paths. Maurice, Bell's father in Beauty and the Beast, was on his way through the woods with his invention when he was faced with two paths. One was sunny and cozy with green trees and flowers. The other was dark and foggy with naked, gnarled limbs and distant sounds of howling wolves. I think our choices may be similar. Scripture says we are either facing God or Satan. That's a no-brainer for me, thank you. There are many who feel there's a third path, one with neither God nor Satan. I assume this path is directed by us, us humans. Well, I don't know about you, but I know enough about my weakness, stupidity, faults, frailties, ignorance, and tendency to do things I shouldn't, to know that I want nothing to do with the path that I am in charge of. So I will just continue to walk on God's path for my life, even if that means pain, because at least on this path, I know there is a reason for it and comfort available if I seek it. So that is the last of this episode. I hope something in there has helped you. Uh, If it has, then please share it on your social media. If you know of someone that you think it might help, please send it to them. I hope you continue to have a wonderful day. I also have an email. It's just my name, Dana Skaggs, D-A-N-A-S-K-A-G-G-S. 
You can put Dana Skaggs at phoenixandflame.com. If you have any comments or questions or have an episode that you would like to hear me uh, talk about in the future, some kind of topic that you're interested in that you would like to have me do an episode on. So again, I hope you have had a good time listening and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.